1: This is Stand Up For Jesus with your host, Craig Nedrow, founder of Craig Nedrow Ministries and Stand Up For Jesus. Our focus is to reach out to the lost and witness about the transforming power of Jesus Christ and calling on others to stand up for Christ and his word, proclaiming that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. And now, standing up for Jesus, here's Craig Nedrow.
2: Welcome to the program. This is Stand Up For Jesus, and my name is Craig Nedrow. On the program today, I want to do a teaching that I've done over the years several times, but I want to do it again today, and I think this is probably going to be a two-part teaching, and it's going to be on the subject of the rapture of the church. Now, let me preface this teaching making a couple of comments about this, and the first one I want to make is that um, I know that the subject of the rapture can be kind of a controversial topic as far as uh, do people believe in it, do they not believe in it, is it in the Bible, is it not in the Bible, Uh, when do you believe it will happen, Um, and so I don't mean it to be a controversial topic, but here's what I will tell you, and I I do not mean this in an arrogant or haughty way at all. I have been studying the Bible pretty exhaustively for the better part of 20 years, and I love to teach from the Word. And so several years ago, I was captured, and and I really love prophecy. And so when I began studying prophecy at a deeper level, uh, you know, it's a a wonderful responsibility to be a a wonderful privilege to be able to teach from the Word, but it's also um, there's a responsibility that comes with it. And so I take that very seriously. And so I would hear people talk about the return of Christ, are you uh, uh, are you pre-trib, are you mid-trib, are you post-trib? In other words, when Jesus comes to for the church at the at the rapture, is the rapture before the tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation? And I, I and I don't want to be wrong on it, but you know, I I never will tell somebody that I have the corner on on the accuracy of all theology, but here's what I will tell you. When I began to study the rapture and the timing of it, I went to the Lord in prayer many times, and I said, "Lord, as a teacher of your word, I do not want to be wrong on this particular subject, and I don't really and I don't want to be wrong on the timing of it." So I studied um, the rapture of the church from all three positions, from a pre-trib position, from a mid-trib position, and from a post-trib position. And I tried to do all three with an open mind uh, and, and have concrete evidence, or to the best of my ability and with the help of the Holy Spirit, to have a, be on a solid footing of what my position is on this. And when I studied this from a position of, of mid tri, uh, the rapture being in the middle of the tribulation, it took me back to the, the pre-trib position over and over again. I don't think there's a lot of support for the mid-trib position of the, the rapture of the church. And so then I, I studied the post-trib, where the rapture of the church would happen at the end of the tribulation. And again, I, I found a lot of contradictory viewpoint, a lot of contradictory um, facts from the Bible— And again, I got taken back to a uh, pre-trib rapture of the church. And then in studying the pre-trib rapture of the church position, and again, I'm not trying to be controversial, but what I will tell you in my heart of hearts, this is what I believe, that the rapture of the church will happen before the tribulation period. I've had people call me and say, hey, do you think uh, that we're in the tribulation? And I will tell you, folks, when we enter into the the seven-year period known as the Tribulation, there will be no doubt that we are in the Tribulation. I know things look like they're difficult right now, and for some people around the world, it is very difficult right now. I know that we have a lot of activity going on uh, that points to the fact that we— are, are you sure we're not in the Tribulation? Folks, I can tell you 100% we are not in the Tribulation. Now, I can also tell you that what we are in— is what Jesus called the beginning of sorrows the birth pains that will be uh, that that are that were to take place just before his return for the rapture of the church we are in that uh time of the beginning of sorrows that Jesus spoke about we are in the birth pains and so um when we stop and look at prophecy and uh, you know we're we're watching prophecy unfold before our very own eyes uh, that just leaps off the pages of the Bible. And we are living in a time that past generations have dreamed about living in because the Bible doesn't give four or five or six or 10 or 15 signs uh, that we are living in the last days just before the return of Christ. The bi- I can give you probably a hundred signs with biblical support that we are living in the very last days before the return of Christ. Now, I say this often, and I want to take the time to say it again here, No one, not me, not you, or anyone else, knows the day or the hour or the week or the month or the year of the return of Christ. The Bible says not even the Son, not even Jesus knows it, only the Father. However, if if I could take just a second and read to you something that Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, and I wasn't going to start off here, but I, I think it's worthy to go to this and listen to what Jesus said, and this is about the sign of his coming. And he said in Luke chapter 12, verse 54, it says, Jesus said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather, and there is. And then Jesus said in verse 56, hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? You see, and I can give you other support to this that as believers in Christ, we are to be able to to discern the time. That doesn't mean we know the day or the hour. But you know what? We're not. And I can. I'll go over this in either today's show or the ne- or the or the next part in this. Is that as believers, Paul tells us. He says, "As but you, brethren," he says in First Thessalonians five and ch- chapter five, verse four. He says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. See, as followers of Christ, we are to have discernment to know that we are close. And folks, I can tell you without any hesitation that we are living in the very last days before the return of Christ. So again, not trying to be controversial, but I do want you to understand my position and where I come from when I teach on the rapture of the church and the tribulation and when I believe the rapture of the church will happen. I believe the rapture of the church will happen sometime soon. I believe all true believers will be removed from the planet, along with all children under the age that the term is called the age of accountability, where they have the ability to understand and make a choice to either accept Christ or reject Christ. Children under that age will also be removed. And I believe it will happen, and that will be the trigger that takes us into a period that known as the tribulation. So that's my position. If you disagree with me, that's okay. God bless you. It's this is not a a mountain to die on. If you if you feel like it's mid trib or post trib, that uh, I certainly respect that. But I've done a lot of studying for a long period of time. And I believe I'm solid on my position that we are living in the last days, that sometime soon, don't know the week, the day, or the hour, the month, the year, but sometime soon Jesus is going to come and remove the the body of Christ, and we will enter into a seven-year period known as the tribulation. And um, so that's that's the the position that I'm going to teach on. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go through where Paul teaches in two different places on the rapture of the church. And I'm first going to go into uh, the first Thessalonians, the chapter five. And I'm going to talk about the actual act of the rapture of the church and describe it. And then I'm going to go directly from there. And I'm going to stop at a certain point, And I'm going to go back over because when you read it, you think, well, how could that be? What would that look like? And so Paul also gives us a, a, def, a, a description of that over in 1 Corinthians. And I want to flip back over to 1 Corinthians, and I want to go over a section of Scripture that Paul actually describes what that will be like, the physical aspect of what that will be like in great detail. And then I'm going to come back over into 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to talk about the fact that uh, what I mentioned earlier, that as followers of Christ, this day should not overtake us without us being aware that we are close to it. So that's kind of an overview of what I want to do here on today's program and probably one more program. Um, I have a lot of people ask me about the rapture of the church, the timing of it. Is it real? Is it in the Bible? What is it? Can you describe it in detail? So that's what I'm going to attempt to do today and probably on one more program. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up to First Thessalonians, and I'm going to begin reading in chapter 4, and this is the Apostle Paul, and I will tell you that the Apostle Paul had some things revealed to him that had not been revealed prior to him. And when you see Paul when he says, uh, "I want to tell you a mystery," or the, the the word in the New Testament, you see a mystery is is unveiled or revealed. That means it's a truth or a teaching that was previously not 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 un, not known. And Paul received some of these uh, teachings and revelations. Uh, it, during in, for in his ministry and this is one of them so in first thessalonians chapter four and as normal i'm going to read and i'm going to begin teaching from the new king james version that's my daily reading bible that's what i i, I like it i think it's um that or the old king james is uh, probably in my opinion most accurate to the actual true uh, scriptures that have been found and verified over the over the years. Uh, it's a great translation. Uh, I like the old uh, King James, but the new one takes out thee and "thou" and replaces it with some more, a little bit more co- uh, contemporary language that's easier to understand. So I'm going to begin reading in chapter uh, in th- First Thessalonians chapter four, and I'm going to start reading in verse thirteen. And Paul says, "But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren." concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow, as others who have no hope. Now, I'm not going to rush through this teaching because it's really important, and I want to point out some things as we go through it. The first thing I want you to understand here, Paul says, look, I don't want you to be ignorant. In other words, I want you to understand this concept. And he he says, brethren. So when Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers in Christ. And that's an important part to understand, because later on, you and you've heard this term before where the Bible says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and Paul's going to make reference to that here a few verses down farther, but that's when it, when it says that the, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, that's for unbelievers. That's not for believers, and I will give you evidence of that as we go through this teaching. But Paul starts out, and he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren— Concerning those who have fallen asleep now when you when the Bible gives you that terminology, fallen asleep, and Paul will clarify that a few verses down farther, he's talking about people who have died, in other words, it would be like your 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 parents or your grandparents or other people that you know that are believers in Christ that have passed away they they've died okay and and so Paul here makes a reference that says concerning those who have fallen asleep, and he says, lest you sorrow. As others who have no hope, and I'm glad Paul put that in there because you see, if someone's a non-believer, they do not believe in Jesus. They do not believe in the Bible. They don't believe in the teachings from the Bible, and they die. What a tragic circumstance to die without hope of in Christ. And see, I again, I I don't want to, I don't want to sound morbid. Or negative in any manner, but here's what I will tell you: I have officiated um, a lot of funerals throughout the years as a pastor, and it's difficult sometimes. uh, And I sometimes I have to have this conversation with the family because I want to know if whoever passed away was a believer or not. And you know, you hear when celebrities die and different people die, and they say, "Well, that's you know, thank God because they're in a better place." And the unfortunate truth is, ladies and gentlemen, that not everybody is in a better place. there you know Jesus taught a lot on heaven, and he taught even more on the on the concept and the fact of hell. Heaven's a real place, and so is hell and Jesus said, "I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me and those are not my words, although I love those words, they're the words of Jesus. And the simple fact is, if someone dies, passes away, and they've never surrendered their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are not in a better place. They're in a terrible place, a horrible place. And so Paul says, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. If someone that you know dies without accepting Jesus, or if you or I die without accepting Jesus, that's dying with no hope. And Paul says, Listen, I'm talking. Remember, he's talking to, to fellow believers. He says, I, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Here's the good news the, the Bible says to be absent, for believers, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so I know this. If I die today, I know in whom I believe, that would be Jesus. I know where I will go, and that will be heaven, and I will be with the Lord, because the Bible tells me this. And so, if we're able to really stand back and look at it from a mature viewpoint, when, if, if somebody's a believer and they pass away, you know what? They're more alive than they ever were here. They're in the presence of the Lord, and they've crossed over, and they've gone home. And they are in a much, much better place than they were before. I'm going to take my first break and I'm going to come back. We're going to continue in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, teaching about the rapture. My name is Craig Nedro, and this is Stand Up for Jesus.
1: We return to Stand Up for Jesus with Craig Nedro on Christian Talk Radio, the Word, 100.7 FM.
2: Welcome back. This is Stand Up for Jesus. I'm Craig Nedro. I'm taking this opportunity. To teach about the rapture of the church, uh, what what the actual rapture is, and then we're going to go into what the physici, what physical act will look like uh, uh, in when that happens. And so uh, right now, in, I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I started reading in verse 13, the Apostle Paul is teaching here, and he starts out in verse 13, he says, "...I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, which means people have died, they've passed away." lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Notice Paul's teaching, he's talking to fellow believers here. And he says then in verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, which as a believer in Christ, you have to believe that. He says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now I mentioned sleep, uh, when Paul talks about sleep here, he's talking about death. Uh, the, the death here on the planet Earth, and we'll see that here in another verse or two where he actually says it. But he says, um, "If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus." And then I love what Paul says in verse fifteen. He says, "For we say, for this we say to you, by the word of the Lord." So let me stop there because that's important. Paul's not. Paul, notice what Paul doesn't say. He goes, "I'm going to give you my opinion here." Or I'm going to tell you what I what what me and some other believers think think is what's true. No, he, Paul says, um, "For we we this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This was the the word. Paul received this teaching, this revelation from the Lord, and he says that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep." Now that's a that that begins to trigger an odd thought in your mind. What do you mean, Paul, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are fall who, who are asleep? And then Paul says in verse 16. Again, I love the directness of the Bible and this is I love this teaching. Paul says in in verse 16, "For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first notice there he doesn't say now nah, and the those who are asleep in christ he he goes ahead and goes right to the to the word dead and those who are dead in christ will rise first so paul's saying look jesus himself is going to descend from heaven there will be a shout a voice of an archangel and a trumpet of god and he says and the dead in christ will rise first And then he says in verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now let me stop because this is the crux of the rapture and it's really important that you have a clear understanding of this. When Paul says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, those two words caught up in the original um, Greek language, those two words caught up or is the Greek word, and it's called harpazo, H-A-R-P-A-Z-O. And it means to snatch or to seize and remove. So Paul says here, when we who are alive and remain shall be seized, snatched, and removed. He says, caught up together. Now, you might say, well, Craig, where does the word rapture come in? Uh, in the original language, when the New Testament was written, this section was written in Greek. And the Greek word for caught up is harpazo. Now, the, the Latin translation of the word harpazo is the, the Latin word rapturo, R-A-P-T-U-R-O, rapturo. And that's where we get our English language in, in the English word rapture. So the English word rapture comes from the Latin word raptural, which comes from the, the Greek word harpazo, which is the Greek word for those two words caught up, which means to seize and to snatch and to remove from. So when people say, well, the word rapture is nowhere in the Bible, I, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, they're wrong. It's just not in our English Bible. It doesn't, because if it said, if Paul said, then we who are alive and remain shall be raptured. All of a sudden, we'd be going. What does the word "rapture" mean right there? Because it's not—it's not an English word language. It's not an English word that we really have a meaning to. Now, it's developed a concept over the years because it's talked about a lot. But that's how we get the word "rapture." So, Paul go. Paul says here, "Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured, together with them. With who? Those who are dead in Christ. Because remember, he says in the previous verse." uh and and the dead in Christ will rise first so all of our loved ones all of a sudden will rise from the grave or they will they will be we will the, the people who have passed away who are fellow believers all of a sudden they will rise from the dead and then if we're alive at the rapture of the church we then we will it says we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air, now don't you know the Bible doesn't th- use just throwaway words. It's it's important that you grab this concept. So you've got the dead in Christ who will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall it says shall meet the shall um, be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now, if you're aware of the atmosphere, we have the air that we breathe here, and the clouds are part of that. Most clouds are low enough to where they're in our atmosphere, but then above the clouds you have where the stars and and and, uh, and that that part of um, heaven. The Bible actually call, says there's three heavens, and Paul says at one point, I, uh, I know a man who was caught up to the third heaven. So the first heaven is the air that we breathe in the clouds. The second one is where the stars are and the moon and the planets because you can't go out there and breathe, okay? Not able to. The third heaven is where God resides. So Paul says here, that we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So just picture that, that your loved ones, uh, the rapture happens in a moment. The Bible says here in a few minutes when I teach on it, in the twinkling of an eye. So it happens that quick, the dead in Christ rise, and then we who are, are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and then it says to meet the Lord. Does it say to meet the Lord on the planet? To meet the Lord in Jerusalem? To meet the Lord on Mount Olivet? No, it says to meet the Lord in the air. Why does it say in the air? Because that's where we'll meet the Lord in the air. And here's where some conf- a lot of confusion comes about the return of Christ. Here it says we meet the Lord in the air, but he it does not. He never puts his foot on the planet. We meet. We meet. To, we're caught up together with the dead in Christ in the clouds, and then we meet the Lord in the air. Not until the end of the tribulation period does Jesus come back, and it talks about it in Zechariah. It talks about it in the Book of Acts, chapter one. That at the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes back and actually puts his foot on the planet. He he comes back to planet Earth, but he doesn't during the rapture. And if he and if you say, well, I believe he does come back during the rapture and put his feet on the planet. Well, then why does it say uh, that we meet him in the air? Why didn't it, why didn't instead of having to meet Jesus in the air? Why don't we? Why don't he just come down here and get us on the planet? The Bible's clear about it. It says, "We who are alive and remain shall be caught up." I mean, snatched and removed together with the dead in Christ in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And it says, "And thus we shall always be with the Lord." So here's the word picture if I could. There's a shout, a voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God. It all happens faster than you can blink. And the dead in Christ rise, we who are alive and remain will meet them, be caught up together with them, meet them in the clouds, and we will meet the uh, and then all of us together will meet the Lord in the air and we will go back to heaven with Jesus. That's the trigger that uh, to, that is going to initiate a period known as the tribulation and I, and on another teaching I'm happy to teach on this at the end of the tribulation in revelation you can see and study it and read about it in Revelation chapter nineteen it says Jesus comes back with with all the saints with the body of believers, and that's when Jesus comes and puts his foot back on the planet. You can read about it in uh, Revelation chapter 19. You can read about it in Zechariah. Uh, uh, you can read about it in Acts chapter 1 where the angels say, why are you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who just ascended to heaven will descend in the same manner. So Jesus will come back and actually put his feet back on the planet and it will happen in Jerusalem. So this is... This is a fascinating and amazing teaching. And, and, it, you know, when you study this, it's not an easy thing to study and just a, to just a read over and not really stop and meditate and think about it. But it's a very important teaching. And Paul says, um, and, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then Paul says in verse 18, and I love this, Paul says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. The reason Paul says that is because when we have a clear understanding of what will happen— at the rapture, the moment that Jesus comes, raptures us, removes all true believers. And I, I look, I have some friends too that go, "No, I believe in the rapture is at the end of the tribulation." Okay, look, if you want to go through the tribulation, uh, that, that's your business. I don't want to go through it. And then people go, "Well, you, that, you know, you, you don't want to have your faith tested." That's not. To, look, if 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 you looked at a, a, the house next door and your children were over there playing and the house was on fire and you had the capability to go in and, and get them out, pull them out of that fire before they were burned, would you not want to do that? Or would you say, no, I think it'll build a lot of character for those kids to go through that fire? Think about that. And think about that in terms of the rapture. Our Heavenly Father, if he has the capability of taking us out of this off this planet before the worst seven years in the history of the world, where Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive— God, the Bible says that we, as believers in Christ, we have not been appointed to wrath. And so, I again, I've studied this exhaustively for a long time, and I'm telling you, I'm on solid ground here. I'm going to take my next break and come back. My name is Craig Nedrow, and this is Stand Up For Jesus.
1: More of Craig Nedrow and Stand Up For Jesus on Christian Talk Radio, The Word, 100.7 FM.
2: Welcome back. This is Stand Up for Jesus. I'm Craig Nedro. I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm teaching on the rapture of the church, the removal of all true believers from the planet. Uh, I want to go back r- real quickly before I go to the next section of scripture. And in 1 in, in, uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. And I want to reiterate that those two words, caught up, Uh, In the original Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, it's the Greek word harpazo, H-A-R-P-A-Z-O. And when it was translated to the Latin version, uh, harpazo is translated in Latin, rapturo, R-A-P-T-U-R-O. And it's where we get the term rapture. So when people say, well, I don't know that the rapture of the church is in the Bible. It is in the Bible, and here's where it's at. So Paul says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's important. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So let me stop here. Let's just pause right here. Flip back over now to 1 Corinthians and go to chapter 15. Paul is talking about the same event, but now we're going to get a description about what that actually looks like when you When you say that uh those who are dead in Christ will rise, well, I thought their body was dead. it was, and then you you see that um those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds L- What does that look like? Can you give us a word description, Craig of what that actual that act actually looks like? Yes, I can. Paul does it in first Thessalonians chapter fifteen, so flip back over there and um i'm going to begin. Uh, reading in First, First Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 35. Once again, this is Paul's teaching. And here's what Paul says in verse 35. But some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? That's exactly what I'm mentioning here when it says the dead in Christ will be raised, and then we who are alive and remain shall meet them in the clouds to be with the Lord in the air. You might wonder, well... How are the dead in Christ, what's their body going to be like? Isn't it all decayed? Or what if they were cremated? Or, you know, whatever the case may be, what if they donated their body to science? How are they going to be raised with Christ? Paul's giving us a description here in First Corinthians chapter 15. He says in verse 35, someone will say, how are the dead raised uh, uh, Raised up? And with what body do they come? And then Paul continues in verse thirty-six, and he says, "Foolish one." He doesn't mean he's not trying to insult you. He goes, "No, think." He's thinking. He's, if I could, if I could um, speak in in our language today, he'd say it'd be like me saying, "No, hang on a minute, let me explain this." Okay. So Paul says, "Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies." He says, "And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain." But, but God gives it a body as He pleases, and to each seed its own body. Now let me stop and give you a simple word picture on that. You put a if you want an apple, you don't bury an apple. You plant apple seeds. If you want wheat, you don't bury a stalk of wheat. You plant wheat uh, the seeds from the wheat, and it sprouts. It, here's a one that we see more often. You want you want a ear of corn, you, you don't. You don't plant a whole ear of corn. You plant seeds or or corn, kernels, and it sprouts corn, okay? In other words, and they're all different. You don't plant corn to get wheat. You don't plant um, plums to get apples. And so that's a a very elementary, but it's a good word description here. When when Paul says, what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, shall be but mere grain perhaps wheat or some other grain but god gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body again you don't plant uh grapes to get avocados you want to get avocados you plant an avocado seed and then it dies and then it grows an avocado or an avocado tree okay you want corn, you put a kernel in the ground, it dies. Jesus actually said it in another part. He goes, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it produces no fruit. It produces no grain. That's the, that's the word picture. And then Paul continues in verse 39 here, and he says, all flesh is not the same flesh. In other words, now Paul's going from uh, a plant the, the plant world to, the, to, to flesh. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another another of fish, and another of birds. Simple enough for us to understand that. And I love the elementary explanation Paul gives there. And then Paul continues, and he says in verse 40, there are also, in other words, Thinking about there's one kind of flesh for for men, one kind of or humans, one kind of flesh for animals, one for birds and one for fish. He says in the same aspect. He says in verse 40, there are also and the word that is used here in the New Testament is celestial bodies. That word celestial means heavenly. He says there are also heavenly bodies and there are terrestrial bodies. And the word terrestrial is earthly. So Paul says, okay. Just like there's, you, you plant different types of seed and there's different types of flesh, there's different types of bodies. There's a heavenly body and there's an earthly body. And he says that in verse 40. And, and, he, and he goes on and gives you another, another example. He says in verse 41, There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. Now, what he's making reference to there is back in verse 40 when he says there are celestial bodies and there are terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. In other words, he's saying both the the, the, the earthly body and the, the, the heavenly body both have their own types of glory, but it's different from one another. And then he uses the galaxies, the moon, the stars, and the sun to give another example of that. Now, before I get into this next section here in First Corinthians chapter 15, I want to take my last break. I'm going to come back. This is such an interesting and fascinating teaching. Um, I want to continue as soon as I get on the other side of the break. My name is Craig Nedro, and this is Stand Up For Jesus.
1: Back to Stand Up For Jesus with Craig Nedro on Christian Talk Radio, The Word, 100.7 FM.
2: Welcome back. This is Stand Up For Jesus. I'm Craig Nedro. Speaking and talking and teaching on the rapture of the church. and We started out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, talked about the actual uh, the, the actual act of the rapture. And then I'm back over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul's actually giving a physical word picture of what that looks like. And I mentioned before the break, in verse 40 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, there's, there's also a celestial body, which means heavenly body, and there are terrestrial, which means earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And then he says there's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. So he's giving us, again, word pictures. And then he says in verse 42, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So Paul's now, when we talk about over in First Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when Paul talks about the dead in Christ will rise first, here's how Paul's describing it in 1 Corinthians. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Those are the dead in Christ who will rise first. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. And it has raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Now, just think. Stop again, and just meditate on this for a second, and think about what Paul just said. Look, I'm 66 years old, and I, you know, I, I've read different commentaries or different um, things, facts about it, where they, when a, a, a person's physical body begins to deteriorate. In other words. Up until I think it's 27 or 28 or 29 or 30, depends upon the person, we're still growing cells in our body, and they're strengthening. But at some point, we, we go over the tipping point, and from that point on, and it's a slow process, but our bodies begin to, um, to, to become weaker. Cells begin to die off. We don't see as well as we did when we were young. Uh, We can't do as many things as we did when we were young. If we can do them, it takes us longer to recover from them. Um, We may begin to lose our hearing or our sight. That's 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 the transition from being young. Listen, I played four sports all through school. I can't do the things I did when I was young. I'm sixty-six years old. I'm still in good health. Glory be to God. But I'm aging, and this body is aging. It says the body is sown in weakness. Uh, Paul says, and it, and it is and it is raised in power. When when I when I have my new body, I'm not going to have the weaknesses and the pains and the sufferings that I have now. He says it is sown a natural body, and it and it is raised a spiritual body. And pa- I love it. Paul says there is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so, Paul's going to go on and give a little bit of a description here. He says in verse 45, once again, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, And so it is written, the first man, man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. He's talking about Jesus. He says, However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man... Is, of, is the Lord from heaven. So he tells you who, he says, look, Adam was of the dust, Jesus is from heaven. And he says in verse 48, As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, Paul says, remember I talked to you about uh, uh, when he talks about a mystery. In verse 50, he says, now this I say, brethren, once again, he's talking to believers. He says, now this I say, brethren, that that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And then he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. In other words, this was previously unknown. He said, we shall not all sleep. In other words, remember, the dead in Christ rise, will be raised first. He said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality— then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory now let me let me just quickly give you that word picture again so at the, at the rapture of the church the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible and he says and we shall all be changed in other words if we're alive during when the rapture happens instantaneously I will receive my new body. This this earthly body that I have right now cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So my flesh and blood body will be transformed into a spiritual body. The dead in Christ will be raised up in their spiritual body. We shall meet each other in the clouds to be with the Lord in the air. And this is the concept, and this is the 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 factual dis, uh, description of how that event will happen. Now, I don't want to rush through this teaching. So I'm going to come back next week. I'm going to review what I've taught, and I'm going to go over this last part again about how we will be changed. And then I want to talk about, go back over to uh, 1 Thessalonians and finish up next week's teaching with some things that Paul wants us to know about because he wants us to be aware of what this this event, he wants us to be aware of how the event will happen, uh, of some kind of uh, uh, approximate timing or how we can know that it's close. And I want to continue that on next week's teaching. I appreciate you tuning in. I'm on every Sunday, noon to one on 100.7 FM The Word. My name is Craig Nedro, and this is Stand Up For Jesus.
1: You've been listening to Stand Up For Jesus with Craig Nedro founder of Craig Nethro Ministries and Stand Up for Jesus. If you would like more information about Craig Nedro Ministries and Stand Up for Jesus, visit our website at craignedroministries.org or give us a call at area code 469-688-7615. Be sure to listen next week at this same time as we Stand Up for Jesus on Christian Talk Radio, The Word, 100.7 FM.